for another exciting episode of No Driving Gloves, where Derek, John, and Will will use over 75 years combined industry knowledge to bring you a bare-knuckled view on the collector car hobby. So let's get rolling. Welcome back, everybody. We're here a little bit early and a little bit by surprise because we had a slight computer error, and it was probably between the keyboard and the chair. The episode that released Thursday morning was not supposed to release until Sunday morning, and we're telling you we're going to start releasing on Monday, so we, we had to have something on Monday. Unfortunately, because of that, Will can't join Derek and I tonight. We all have lives and things going on, and Will's got family in town this weekend. Derek and I are just going to do a quick little show in order to keep our promise to you about having episodes out on Mondays. The nice thing about this is after the show recorded... Last Wednesday, that was an early release, we got talking about some traveling that I have to do on, I guess, Thursday. I'll swing by and see Derek at his office in Kentucky and visit with him and have lunch. Then I'm going to drive up to the Mid-Ohio Motorcycle Swap Meet at the Mid-Ohio Racetrack in Lexington, Ohio, and I'll be hanging out there on Friday, and then I'm turning around and driving to Columbus, Ohio, and I'm going to meet Will up there. Well, he'll be um, showing a 56 Chevy that was recently featured on Scotty DTV, and Will and I will hang out a little bit. Maybe we'll catch up with a couple of listeners in Columbus. With a little bit of luck and a little bit of hope from Amazon Prime, maybe I'll have a pocket recorder by then. Uh, Maybe we can grab a couple of interviews while we're at Good Guys. So if you're out and about, you can see me and, like I said, uh, AMA Vintage Days at Mid-Ohio or Will or or I at the Good Guys in Columbus. So that does give us an opportunity to let you know on that since I'll take the blame. I'm the one who released the podcast and making Derek stay up late here on a Friday night so that we can record it. And talking about a topic, though, that's rough because Will had such a unique perspective on everything. We can't come up with a topic that's really good to discuss without him here. So Derek and I are going to chat about kind of our favorite cars, maybe the favorite cars we've owned, favorite cars of all time. And if anybody knows me, I'm a huge CRX fan. I've done CRXs for years. Derek, where are you on all this? I, you know, I like so many different cars and, and I, I've played with so many different cars and, and owned quite a few different cars over the years. It's, it's hard. Um, you know, one of my, one of my favorite cars and a car I often sometimes think about going out and and trying to locate it and, and get it back is really one of the very first cars that kind of was mine in a, in a way and, uh, that I did, most of the restoration work on, and that was the 1974 Pontiac GTO that I owned back in basically late high school and early college days. Loved the car, had a blast in it. Uh, Nobody likes, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but uh, not a lot of people like the 1974 Pontiac GTO because it was the year they made it out of the Nova body style or the Ventura body style instead of the Le Mans uh, Tempest body from Pontiac. But that's that's been a, a strong candidate for one of my favorite cars that I've I've actually owned. Doesn't surprise me. It's a little bit of an oddball car. And 
over the years, I like to say, I've always said I've got this little fetish for front-wheel drive Chrysler products. Uh, my first car was a 1980 Dodge Omni 024. Uh, lots of luck finding one for sale. They pop up occasionally, but early 80 Chrysler with a Volkswagen motor in it, and it, uh, that, well, they, they didn't last, and I was guilty of some of that. I think I blew the head gasket two, if not three times in that car, and you know, it was my first car. I, I beat the heck out of it. Yeah, but see, blowing the head gasket, it's a good learning experience. You know, you got to work on it. You got to replace the head gasket. So it's it's valuable learning experience. You have my teen years um, in a fog there. And you know, when I was 16, I really didn't work on cars. We lived in a neighborhood that you couldn't take a car apart in the driveway. So my dad listens to this podcast and Thanks, Dad, for uh, paying for that work a couple of times. Uh, yeah, probably at this point I can say I was definitely guilty of one of them. I think one was the car itself. You know, I went through the the 0-2-4 and went to a pickup truck. Had a good time with it. It never had a failure. It was an old Ma- 84 Mazda B2000 Sundowner. It was a fun truck. You know, it was just the beginning of the mini truck craze, which... Our younger listeners will think of his history. Uh, if Will was here, we'd go, ooh, that was our youth and had fun. <laughs> Friends from those days, a few of them are going back and b- building their mini trucks again. And I think Will and I each did that about 10 years ago, went out, bought S10s and customized them. So it's just that fun. But I always had that thing for the front-wheel drive Chryslers, and it, it spoiled me. I'm a guy who doesn't... and. Okay, I may as well admit, I like flappy paddle gear shifts. No, I'm, I'm kidding there, but I, I don't mind a front-wheel drive car. I think a front-wheel drive car has some very interesting handling characteristics, and on most days, I can drive a front-wheel drive car faster than I can a rear-wheel drive because I grew up in a front-wheel drive car. Yeah, yeah. I mean, front-wheel drives are cool cars. They're interesting. They've got—and and it was funny, you talked a little bit about, you know, history— Throwing back that younger visitors think of some of the things we did as kids as history, which scares me sometimes. Uh, But, you know, one of the things that we're talking about favorite cars, and for me, one of the things that that gets me as the, you know, not only the guy that works on cars and, and plays with them in my garage or at work, I'm also the historian. And, you know, that part of me sometimes what gets me about a favorite car is is more the history of that car or the history of you know that model car or that make car and i wind up getting more in captured by the the history of of a certain car and the uniqueness of it and that's what really grabs me and and brings me in you know like my 1974 Pontiac GTO you know the uniqueness of it being the the Ventura body style or Nova body style. Uh, you know Buick Apollo, Olds Omega, those all ran that in '74. But it was also after doing the research through Pontiac Historical Services, it was one of 687 built in the configuration it was done. It had a four-speed manual transmission. It was even goofier than just being the the Ventura body style, it was the hatchback on top of it. And it was basically the top of the line Ventura custom package. Everything the guy could get on it, he could get on it. Even the custom ordered interior. 
but he didn't trust that new technology that was out that was, you know, power brakes. So the car was ordered with a full set of manual brakes all the way around. <laughs> so you can imagine a 1974 Pontiac GTO, you know, the Pontiac 350 engine, four-speed transmission. It was a quick car. I mean, it wasn't a slow car by any means. And you've got manual drum brakes all the way around. Uh, there so were... I was going to say zero to <laughs> zero to 60 in what? 12.3 in uh, <laughs> 60 to zero in about 1200 feet, right? Yeah, exactly. There were, there were a few, a uh, few more than a few, probably, you know, screeching to a stop locked up brakes um, from probably faster than I should have been going in a 1974 Pontiac GTO. But you know, most of the cars that I've, I've fallen in love with or had, you know, some favoritism towards, it's not always because they're the greatest driver, or the, you know, highest powered engine, or a lot of times it's the goofy story that goes along with them, or the the really cool story that you can dig into with them. Uh, I mean, when I go to Old Car Festival at Greenfield Village, I'm there every year narrating, you know, I run the replica of the 1886 Benz Patton Motorwagen, for the Automotive Hall of Fame. I look forward to that show every year, and it's it's a fantastic show. I mean, any show where you can get six to 700 pre-1932 antique cars that are the way they came out of factory, no hot rods allowed, anything like that, that's an interesting day, especially when it's in a setting like Greenfield Village. But I look forward to that those two days because... I get to go run the 1886 Benz Patton Motorwagen replica and you know, it's a one cylinder engine. It's, it's just the coolest stuff. And it's of course, oftentimes considered kind of the grandfather of the automobile, you know, the, the patent that was given to it's the birth certificate of the automobile, all those things you hear people say about it, but just firing it up and getting on it and driving it is an experience like no other. And it's kind of that stuff that that kind of leads me to favorite cars a lot of times. I'll comment on that. A couple episodes, I think we talked about that that car and engine sounds. I have found my computer that does have that uh, soundtrack on it. Unfortunately, the video card's bad in it, so I've got to pop in a new video card and get the monitor. And we'll get those sound effects uploaded to uh, one of our social media sites. So we can enjoy some of the sounds that you get a relish in. What time of year do, do you go up there? I, can't remember when that happening is. Yeah, Old Car Festival so, is always the um, weekend after yeah. Labor Day. Um, so it's this year it's like September 8th, 9th, 10th, right around there, I think it is. About right, because that I've got an event that weekend too. So, so of course you can't make Unfortunately. It. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's work. Work seems to get in the way of everything. Yeah, so. work, work always gets in the way of play. So, so talking about favorite cars, and, and we've talked a little bit about our past, what is your let's let's go with what is your favorite car right now, John? Are we talking if I was to have unlimited money and I could walk into the car dealership and I have to buy something that's a 2017 model? I'll be honest, I really don't know because I go out. We've just talked about my addiction in buying cars, and that's one of the reasons I haven't bought something in the last like 18 or 19 months. There's nothing out there new, definitely in my price range that I want. And if we get into some of the, you know, things out of my price range, 
it, it's really it's really a tough tough decision because I'll say I'm around a lot of these cars. I have friends with your Huracans, and I think recently I just had a friend order an LP670, and it's they're they're fun cars are fun, but I would probably say if I had to do it again, I would go back and order another Caterham, but I wouldn't get the Super Sport 400 or anything. I would want the Caterham 160 with the nice small four-cylinder, about 180 horsepower, very similar to what I've had in the had in the past with my uh, 77 Series 3 Caterham, which is a continuation of the Lotus 7. But, you know, that's getting really out of people's realms, and that's not the kind of car you think of for a daily driver. It's just hard to say what would I go out and buy. You know, certain days I go, a Corvette would be cool. Would it be... The new Avora 400 kind of turns me on, but at 100, 110 grand, it's better to wait two years and probably pick that car up for 80 grand used. I'd really have to think about it. If I mean, if you gave me a blank check and told me to go buy a brand new car, I don't know what I would buy myself. I know what I would, you know, probably buy the girlfriend and you know get her a nice Rolls drophead coupe or something like that which she would never drive because we've talked she likes small cars, but I think it would be a cool car car there. But for me, I don't know. Really, if I was to go out and just spend cash on a car right now, it's going to go back to the past, and I'm going to go get me a second-generation CRX because <laughs> that's that's the car I crave right now. Uh, I, you know, I see them, I want to say obviously used, but low mileage, in great shape, and they cost just as much as they did brand new at this point. Why I kind of contemplate and go through everything out there, that's the disease we have, because I think both of us know everything on the market. I'm going to take that as a lead that, what would be your choice if I handed you a blank check and said, come home with something 2016-2017 model year? Well, see, that just made it too difficult, (laughs) because you said that because you knew I was going to go with something older. (laughs) Oh man! Well, I thought that was the qualifier. It had to be it had to be new if I was going to walk out and buy something new. If I, yeah, if I go that's, across, that's I mean that is a qualifier we can use. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same as you. I mean, it's just <laughs> I don't even know exactly. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I think I know exactly what I'd buy, and it's it's probably going to sound a little ridiculous, but. I like the car. It's got good styling, in my opinion. It's a quick car. It's a, it's a very fast car. Although I'm not one that's all all into speed that much. Obviously, uh, if you guys have been listening, I drive brass air and horseless carriage cars. They don't go very fast. I would probably go straight down to the Cadillac dealership and buy a CTS. And that's a... Uh... That's a you know a kind of a cool car and it's I guess it's it's right there. I'll say my mother just recently purchased I think the ATS. I, I haven't seen it. She kind of did it behind behind my back. I don't understand that she have a car person in the family and they slipped out and yeah. Uh, but you're a Lotus guy. They, they bought you know you, you yeah, <laughs> they they bought well. Don't understand why you wouldn't call and say hey what do you think instead I get. 
what do you think we paid? And then you give them a number and go, okay, yeah, okay, I guess we did okay. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and, and going between the ATS but, and the CTS, I, my thing with the, the, the difference in those two, you know, the ATS, it's just a little too uh, soft on the styling, I guess I'll call it. You know, it, it's very smooth lines. I like the sharper look of the CTS. Um, it would definitely be a CTS coupe. You know, it's just, it's, I think it's really, for me, it's something about the styling of that car, even, you know, more so than how fast it can go and, you know, the incredible numbers that they're, you know, they've got on it. And it's really, for me, it's about the look of that car. I don't know that there's any other modern car that, for me, um, would fit a look that I would be going for. And I think that's what makes the CTS kind of my my choice for that blank check. If we have to go with a, a 2016, 17, 18 model year car, if I if I had a blank check, one of my all time favorite cars through history. And funny enough, my dad have, and I have been chasing one for probably about ten years now. It is a 1954 Nash Healey Coupe. They only built coupes in 54. There were 90 of them built. That car is probably right there at the top of my favorite cars uh, in history. You see, you talking about your Cadillac, I clicked a couple of the 2017s that would possibly interest me. The one that I keep seeing on the commercials, and for some reason the styling's been attractive to me, and it doesn't make sense. Maybe it's because Lotus was bought by Greeley and it's kind of Chinese now, or it is a Chinese company. I like the the look of the new Buick station wagon they've been promoting lately. I don't know what the car drives like. I haven't seen one in person, but I would I would be tempted to go to the Buick dealership and maybe test drive that Buick wagon. And the other one, and I know exactly how it's going to feel, but I might have to go drive it would be the the new Civic Type R. Anything I've driven Honda in the last few years on the manual gearboxes are too slushy. There's no positive notches. I mean, one of my CRXs had solid shifter bush, bushings in it and short throw shifter, and, it, and the new ones just shift so gently. When it did come down to buying a car recently... I had this Fiat 500 that had always had given me problems since literally the day after I bought it used. If we ever really go no driving gloves, we'll tell you about that st- that story. But I traded it six, eight months ago and bought my uh, second Hyundai Velocitor. I bought one in 2012 uh, when they first came out, uh, normally aspirated. A little asymmetrical three-door, two doors on the passenger side, one door on the driver's side, six-speed. And that was a fun car. And I decided one day, well, if anybody's going to give me any reasonable amount of money for this non-running Fiat I have, uh, another long story, it might be the Hyundai dealership because they also owned a a Chrysler dealership. And they gave me stupid money on trade, so I went home with a uh, 2016 Hyundai Velocitor which the girlfriend drives a lot, I drive a lot. We bought with the intention of just banking the miles on it, kind of reducing the mileage on our other two cars. So the Velocitor is probably 
the car I enjoy the most, the one I bought this time around, wasn't a turbo. They don't want to pay for a turbo. It's a fun car and gets you around. And it has a little bit of, like I said, I've a CRX guy, it has a little bit of that CRX styling with kind of the cam back and the vertical rear window. And I'm kind of excited to see what the next Velocitor looks like Hyundai is supposed to release in the next next couple of months. And in their new, I think Hyundai is using the letter N for their performance vehicles. Is it N-Spec Hyundai? I'd have to look that up to be sure. And if you know please send me an email or comment I'll yeah I was gonna say I know I don't I don't know what they're what they're gonna be bringing out next and I just kind of pay attention to that because you know I have one and kind of need to know when this car is going to be obsolete but like I said we bought it with the intention of banking a whole bunch of miles on it she commutes great distances twice a week so great mileage and free oil changes from the dealership and free wiper blades as long as I do the regular service. I'll do my oil changes and stuff for free. And the intention, I think, is to take this six-speed and hand it off to the the kid when she turns 16. That way, nobody will be borrowing her car. We won't have to worry about that. <laughs> and when she inevitably, like every 16-year-old, and her mom hates it when I say it, has an accident, it won't, it won't be in a brand-new car, but it'll be in something newer and reasonably safe Mm -hmm. yeah you know you talk about that you know it when you were talking about basically talking about some little sports cars things like that so you know something popped into my head and i i think you and and i think i've talked you know with you and will about this you know over time i don't know if we've talked about it on the actual podcast though i had a, a 2006 pontiac solstice that was a fantastic little car I had a blast with that car. That's another car that I would probably buy another one to have and use as a daily driver and just have it around for fun. You were just talking about, you know, the shifting and and kind of the gentle shifting in some cars, the more positive feel in other cars. And I'll say the Pontiac Solstice, I, I loved the shift, the feel of the shifting in it. You know, it just, it had a lot of pep. I, you know, I didn't have a you know, any of the, I didn't have the turboed version, uh, anything like that. Just pretty much stock, basic Pontiac Solstice. Just had a blast driving the car. Uh, funny thing, I only owned it for about six months. And the, the 1923 Peerless we've talked about on other episodes that I own came up for sale and I, I had to get rid of something to be able to get the Peerless. So I uh, had to say goodbye to the Solstice got rid of that to get the peerless and I would I would own another one of those in a, probably a heartbeat for the for the right price. I've never driven the Solstice or Sky Roadster. I had opportunity uh to drive one of the GXP coupes that was at the very end of the run. Probably should have bought that car because it was still on the lot after Pontiac died. Uh brand new. That was that was a fabulous little sports car. I recently had a conversation with a gentleman who owns some car dealership. He's was in that same boat, too. I think we've all been there where one car comes along and you need to sell a few other cars so that you can afford it. He had opportunity come up, just saw a car, and he said, oh, I need to uh, need to call on that. I already have one of those, but I got to see how, see how much... Then he called and the car was available at a price he was comfortable with. It didn't have the original motor. He got talking and the the person said, 
well, we can source you a motor for this car. It's going to be X number of dollars, and we can get, import that motor for you, and we can do the conversion and put it back to the proper motor for the car. And the guy said, well, to be honest, I've got one of those motors laying in my garage, so I really don't need that. And then as they, they came to the agreement on the car, they got talking a little bit. The woman said, well, if I may ask, do you know what serial number that motor is you have? And the gentleman said, no, don't have a clue, but I bought it off so-and-so in such-and-such a state. And the woman, he said, got quiet and said, this is his car. So accidentally, he ended up buying the car that he had the proper motor for. So those car that'll be reunited. But in the process, he ended up having five or six really nice cars go up for sale. So he didn't have to reach into the savings account or the retirement account or a bank loan to to cover the price of that car. So no matter no matter who you are, you know sometimes you've got to sell one car to get to another. My friend with the uh, uh, LP670 that he ordered, his problem is he runs out of garage space. He only has so many garage spaces, so when he orders one, he has to sell something else. Yeah, and that's that's probably the hard one of the hardest parts of this um, <laughs> disease, uh, if you want to call it that, hobby, is you know making the decision to to get rid of one of your cars, and, and you know it's just tough. It's a hard thing to do. If I could keep them all, I probably would. I sit back occasionally and look at my spreadsheet of all the cars I've owned, and I'd like to have this one back for this reason. I'd like to have this one back for this reason. I'd like to have this one back for this reason. Fortunately, there's only a few that I think I really, really would ever buy back because when I had them, they were a lot of my cars were, you know, within five or six years old. So they were still semi reliable. You know, how reliable is an 89 Mustang going to be today? I mean, you can get in, you can drive it, but it's going to require a little bit more attention than if I went out and bought a 2009 Mustang. Or as I've said before, since I wrench on cars during the day, when I come home, I want to have a car I don't have to wrench on and I can enjoy. And it's the uh, cobbler's curse. Cobbler's kids never have any shoes or the mechanic's cars are always broken. We've talked about me being, you're a white trash, and I think at the time owned 12 cars, and the only reason something ever got fixed is because we had 11 of them broken, and I needed two cars running, so <laughs> through life. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've kind of, we've touched on some of the newer stuff, and like I said, my favorite stuff in my life, you know, I've enjoy, enjoyed my CRXs while I've had them. I've had multiples of those, which is odd for me, because I do never, or I normally do not go back and buy something I've had in the past. Of course, now two Velocitors, and I think I've owned four or five CRXs, and I own that Mazda B2000, and a few years later I owned a uh, Ford Courier, I think I mentioned was heavily modified with 231 V6 crammed in it and all this other stuff, but really it's still the same car. I've had my assortment, and whether I have a absolute favorite, I don't know. You know, you asked, what would I buy? As I, w- I was at Amelia Island a few years back. We were standing there chatting. I was chatting with the guy that was repping the Bugatti Veyrons at the time. And he said, well, you want to take it for a spin? <laughs> Most of my friends think I'm nuts. I go, no, not, <laughs> not really. 
because <laughs> I've kind of learned that, you know, be careful what you wish for. It might come true. And, you know, you don't necessarily want to meet your heroes because they could turn out to be um, real works of art, we'll say, to keep this friendly. <laughs> I've driven a lot of those dream cars and been severely disappointed. And I've decided to keep some of my fantasies fantasies. Now, if the new new Bugatti, I, I want to drive that. I want to drive the Chiron, but the the Veyron, no, uh, just never had never had the desire to. It's just one of those things. Out of my three favorite cars in in the world, I've driven two of the three, and they still remain on my list. And the the third is the 288 Ferrari GTO, which I alluded to in my little one minute snippet, uh, is what was on the car you know car magazine that i fell in love with cars and 288 gto even though it isn't is the ultimate ferrari 308 that's the one that if you gave me a blank check and i could buy any car in history that that would be one i would probably have to go buy uh just because i've i've had a passion for it was it 30 35 years no oh, is that it come on uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no you, yeah so, you talk about you know driving some of your you know, your favorite cars and having the opportunity to do that. And I, I think all of us, you know, all, Will, yourself, uh, myself, in in the jobs we've had, the jobs we have, we get to drive cars that a lot of people don't sometimes have the opportunity to. Some of those I know in my... In your case, in your case, most definitely. <laughs> so. and, and that's, yeah, in my career, I've gotten to, to drive some cars that, you know, very few people get to drive. But and and there are those times that I get to drive a car that I have had a reverence for uh, since I was a kid, and you know one of those cars. Oddly, you bring up the Bugatti Veyron and the the Chiron. I think I alluded to it in maybe the last podcast or or one before that. Uh, when I worked at Henry Ford Museum, we got the 1931 Bugatti Royale up and running, and yeah, you know, one of six Royales ever built. I've read about those cars since I was a kid. I've known about those cars forever. I never, never, ever thought I would have the chance to work on one, let alone drive one. You know, you read everything about them. You, you know, you read, of course, Bugatti was, uh, you know, Atori was built known for building his race cars. He was not known really for building a a really family road car. Let's put it that way. He kind of decided to build these cars, and and everything you read about the Royales is that they handle as well as his race cars. And for a twenty foot plus long car, where from the center line of the front axle to the steering wheel, there's just over seven feet of distance. If you think about it, that's that's an insane amount of distance, especially when you're thinking about turning and cornering. After we got it running and, and driving it through the village on test drives, it was one of the easiest driving, really early cars, you know, pre-power steering that I've ever driven in my life. It just, the engineering that man pulled off and that company pulled off is absolutely incredible. And And as you say, you know, that was a time when kind of my hero car, one of my hero cars, if you call them that, definitely did not let me down. The Royale is kind of interesting to me. I talk about the, the GTO and that car and driver from 84, and 
then I think my next car is probably Sonny Crockett's uh, Ferrari Daytona Spider or McBurney Spider. And then the next car that really stands out in history to me is Bill Harris' Bugatti Royale that was bought by uh, Thomas Mohagen of Domino's Pizza. Excuse me if I mispronounced Tom his name. Monahan. I, I know. Monahan. Yes. Okay. I say I know he's not into cars anymore, so he's probably not yeah, listening probably not. to this. But I do apologize. So I was familiar with that, and while I have never driven a Royale, I've been in the presence of them. You know, there's eight of them in the world, six, six of them in yeah, the world. Yeah, there were six built. Or six, six in a seventh chassis, maybe. It gets uh, a little, yeah, fuzzy. I, and actually, there are <laughs> there are eight now because two complete replicas have been built. I know you, who's had personal hands-on experience with them, and right after Thomas bought that one from the Bill Hara estate auction, that went to White Post Restorations that I worked at. Granted, it was in 88, 89. It was 10 years before I was there. I actually know two people that have very intimate time with Royales, and it's, you know, I, I live vicariously through a lot of friends. You know, again, it's some of the cars and that that I can't have access to, I can get firsthand knowledge. And again, that's why the podcast is here. That's why you're here is we're hoping to expand this, our listener numbers for the, you know, for being a four episode old podcast, our listener numbers are fantastic, our downloads. And we hope that we can share this and kind of be, be the, the friends of, all the guys and girls out there that are listening to this podcast and we be that, you know, hopefully everybody can think that they know you and now they're using the uh, Kevin Bacon theory. They're one time separated from a Royale. <laughs> they're one time separated from, you know, you know, me with the, you know, Cunningham C3 or something like that. We can, we're, we're sharing some of this little bit of life that we've had to, with with the listeners out there, are we are we going to start doing the six degrees of Bugatti and the six degrees of Cunningham and <laughs> see? <laughs> well, I don't like playing that game because I know Jay Leno's chief mechanic guy that runs a big dog garage, and you've probably I think you've probably met Leno. I don't know if you have firsthand or not. I've had opportunities, but I've never been able to play them through. And I think once you, once you hit that circle. It's easy because everybody knows Jay. I think that's even closer. I mean, if you're a car guy or whatever, because everybody's been on The Tonight Show or everybody's two or three people away. So once you know Jay, that one degree from him, you're right there with, I'm three people away from knowing you name name yeah. it, and I'm three people away from knowing. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, and you, know, I, you said, and, yeah, I, I've had the, the good opportunity to, to meet Jay a couple times. Uh, give him tours of museums. You know, not only that, the gentleman who works on his, and I, I may have mentioned this in one of the previous episodes, the gentleman who works on his Auburn Corduzenberg collection, the restorer mechanic, uh, is the reason I have the Peerless, the 23 Peerless. Uh, you know, Randy's been a good friend for a long time. I have that Peerless because of that connection. It is what it is, I guess. You know, I, I, I have people that, family members um, your parents listen to this podcast mine don't <laughs> fortunately yeah but my parents are always you know oh you met so and so and i'm like they're just another person to me I, I get the question all the time who's the most famous person that's been through here you understand where they're coming from but my response is can you clarify and they look at you like you're nuts i said 
do you want an actor? Do you want an athlete? Do you want a race car driver? Do you want a comedian? Do you, you know, tell me, qualify what you want for a celebrity, and then maybe I can pick out a name for you. And it's something that listeners, please, if you want to get into this, this car hobby, it's networking is a key to, to getting to where Will, Derek, I, any, anybody who's known in the industry, you've got, you've got to know people, but you can't meet somebody. You can't go up. We'll use Jay and men being kind of obscure. You can't go up to Jay and say, "Hey, Mr. Leno, you know, I love you. You're great. Can I come work for you?" No, he wants to talk to you about his turbine motorcycle. He wants to talk to you about his, you know, eighty foot long whatever tank diesel car. He doesn't want to talk about the mundane business thing. Get to know the people and get to be friends with the people, and these things happen organically. It's you know it you you've got to respect them for the car people they are. I go to a a lunch most Saturdays, and it's with exotic car people in town. They're they're the people that own anything you know Enzos, and we talked about the Lamborghini three two other times in this episode, and they're there. But there's kind of an unwritten rule. Nobody knows what anybody does for a living, really. You know, these could, these could be drug dealers. They could be landlords. They could be contractors. They could be police officers. You don't know. It never really comes up. Eventually, you might learn what people do for a living, but we don't care about that. We're there because of the cars, and we'll talk an hour, hour and a half every week about the cars. And it doesn't matter if I pull up in, you know, my old Porsche Boxster or you pull up in a you know a, a brand new Brabus, uh, excuse me, Brabus Mercedes. It it doesn't matter. You're we're all car people, and it's cool to see, and everybody gets excited, and you live vicariously through everybody. It's this hobby is is networking. If you want to get somewhere, respect your car people for car people, and don't go up pushing it yeah i won't even go to that story at this point but we'll just leave it there <laughs> well and I'll, I'll just i'll tell you one thing you know uh for for any of our listeners john you know, will you know every, a lot of us read car magazines you know a lot of us have them laying around whatever when i lived in michigan i used to go to kind of one of those you know get togethers every uh, first saturday at a warehouse full of cars, random people just showed up. You never knew who you were meeting. I, I was standing in a group of people talking, you know, just talking to this gentleman that was nice as could be, you know, car guy through and through. And I didn't find out until probably, I think it was the next open house I was at, that it was David E. Davis, you know, automotive journalist and just someone who I'd read articles of. And it's about the cars. It's about the passion. It's about that connection that we have and it doesn't matter who that other person is it's just we're talking cars i think the the porsche club and the viper club both have a motto and i'm sure some other clubs do is very true to the car hobby and it's the cars brought us together it's the people that keep making us come back the cars bring bring people together and it's just completely odd and it's mind-boggling even to me to this day that I know some of the people I do, yeah. whether it be through work connections or just car car connections. You know, the cars have provided so much opportunity to, to do so much. Derek, Will, and I are all in special places. A lot of people are, but 
the people in the car clubs that come up and they say, oh, I went to this event and, you know, everyday Joes and they, they meet people and they're excited or they see, see cars. It's just an interesting conduit to people's personalities. I know I think it's one of the reasons, you know, I have a passion for cars. I mean, we started out this episode and Derek pretty much asked me, you have a blank check. What do you want to go buy? I don't know because cars are enjoyable. And the people they bring with them are enjoyable. It really shouldn't matter what what you drive, long as you're enjoying it. You can come to you can go ahead and come to the event in whatever. I was at a was at an event uh, two three weeks ago that was heavily populated by Trans Ams. It was the you know 40th anniversary Bandit Run, but there was a group of four people from Sweden that flew over to participate. They own a black bandit Trans Am in Sweden, but they couldn't ship the car over. And to be honest, nobody really rents 77 Trans Ams. So they they ended up renting a Chrysler 300 and put all these little Trans Am stickers, 6.6 liter and Trans Am, and again, are screaming chicken decal on the hood. And they went with them. And they were accepted because... They're car people. They had a passion. There are four of them to fly over from Sweden to drive from Texarkana to Atlanta. That, that's what makes it fun. That's what I enjoy. I think that's what Derek enjoys when it comes to this hobby. Is you know, We get to do some cool stuff, but we get to talk to even cooler yeah, people. Yeah, and I was gonna I was going to do the same thing you just did, which is flip this back to the beginning of the episode when we're talking about favorite cars. And, you know, I talked about some of my favorite cars are because of you know the history the unique stories of them talked about my 1974 Pontiac GTO and not only the history of that car you know the production of it the the story behind it the GTO all that you know when i really start to think about it yeah that's that's cool stuff that makes me interested in the car but along with that comes the the memories of owning that car you know, what I, I did with that car, the people I met when I owned that car, you know, some of my, my best friends in my life come from that 1974 Pontiac GTO, uh, a dear friend of mine that writes for actually Hemmings Motor News now. Uh, he's a journalist there, is a great friend because we met in college at Central Michigan University because I owned the Pontiac GTO, he owned a Camaro, and we started a car club at Central Michigan University together with a couple other guys that we found that had 60s, 70s era muscle cars. There's just another part of that history of a car and the memories and the people we've met that makes it one of my favorite cars. And I mean, it even goes back to the three of us here. You know, I, I did the same thing with Will. I met Will in college and What's the odds of some guy from central Illinois who has absolutely no desire to know somebody from Alabama, let alone live in Alabama, you know, become pretty good friends with a guy from Alabama. And then ironically, 15 years later, moved to Alabama and uh, <laughs> live just down the street from him or a couple hours down the road. And that's even, you know, I met you, Derek, through cars in a car event and, I wasn't looking for anything out of you, and I don't think, well, you know, anything out of me. And we kind of had a, a friendship, and we've stayed in loose communication. But well, you you, know, you took me to a, a you you know you guys took me out to a great dinner. You 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 know, 
the what well, I think it was the last night I was there, and uh, we had a blast with some of the guys from, and uh, that was enough. <laughs> we talked cars and we had good food. <laughs> yeah, but I know some of the people were at the table, and uh, <laughs> I don't think my boss listens. To this. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> well, my my wonderful, <laughs> probably now former boss. <laughs> But I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. We only shot, we're shooting for about 25 minutes, and my ticker here is right about 50. We went a little bit long, uh, like I hinted at the beginning of this. I'll be out and about a little bit this week. I know Will will be. Uh, We don't like to talk too much about descriptions and time, but if we're going to be out, we're going to tell you and Unfortunately, if you're listening to this in six months, that content's not evergreen, as they say. I uh, just spent a good portion of this week redoing our website. Uh, look for a much, much similar. That sounds wonderful English. And if you listen to me on MakerCast, you'll find out that story. It's a, it's a very similar website, much more colorful, a lot more interactive, a little bit easier to get around to the podcasts. If you go to podcast pieces, if you go to nodrivinggloves.com check it out we'll go to the outro and it's going to tell you everything else about our social media be sure to follow us start telling people about us like i said our our downloads are a lot better than i think any of us dreamed so we must be doing something right please give us some feedback give us some ideas for show topics Uh, if you have some questions we'll try to answer them here and uh, be sure to check out our Patreon. There's some some levels there that are a little odd for Patreon, but some of those will involve personal consultations where we'll sit down with you and answer some of your restoration questions in private. So it'll be a little bit one-on-one there. That that, that helps cover some of the, the costs that are associated with doing this. But again, we do this and we're going to do it whether or not you throw a dollar our way or not. We'll look for you in Ohio. We'll look for you in Kentucky. And if you're ever around Alabama, we're always out and about. You have anything else tonight, Derek? Uh, or are we about I'd, I'd just say to our uh, to our U.S. listeners, uh, you know, uh, happy Fourth of July. Help fund this podcast. You know, we're doing it for fun. We're doing it. If you enjoy it, throw a couple of bucks our way. We'll check us out on Patreon. We've got different reward levels there. Some of those would be personal consultations that kind of go along more with our labor rates. They're kind of aggressive goals, but there's also entry level, and you can get one of the first edition No Driving Gloves uh, stickers or T-shirts, depending where you go. Just wanted to mention that, get that out there. Of course, we're on iTunes, Google Play, uh, said YouTube. I think I've got we've set up on SoundCloud, so we should be out there for you to listen to anywhere. I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this evening. And we'll talk to you later. If you have questions or comments, email us at nodrivinggloves at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to No Driving Gloves using your favorite podcast catcher. Follow No Driving Gloves, one word, on Facebook or Instagram. And most of all, please check out our page on Patreon where you can help keep our tires rolling.